Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. It's April 14th, um, and this is Be Above Leadership. I am Ursula Pottinger, and I'm here with uh, my friend and business partner, Anne Betts. And today's episode is on untangling our neural pathways. So good morning, Anne. <laughs> good morning, Ursula. I'm excited. We started out, we talked about this a bit on our last blog talk, which we, I, I, I was in charge of, let everybody know what happened, I was in charge of scheduling. <laughs> so we had a little operator error because usually Ursula does it, and she actually knows how, and I didn't. So we got accidentally scheduled for a 15-minute program. So just as the conversation was getting good, we got cut off. So we're going to kind of revisit some of where we were last time, talk about the role consensus reality seems to play in creating some entanglements and what this all means. And it's one, it's become one of our favorite topics, right, Ursula? Yes, it really has. It's uh, It's been one of those uh, ahas that uh, somewhat came out of left field. Um, and the more we've been talking about it, the more I've seen uh, the the power of it, how our experiences get wired into our brain and when they are wired closely together, that they sort of get, um, it sort of gets muddy. Yeah, I like. I think that's a really good, really good term. If if you think about neuro, we've talked a lot on this show about neuroplasticity. And if you think about neuroplasticity, um, I was just teaching a class, and somebody said, "Well, it's sort of like going down a ski slope." And the first time you go down, it's just beautiful white snow and you can go anywhere. But if you do something, you create this pathway just like you create a ski trail. And then the next time, it's easier to follow the ski trail that you've established. Mm -hmm. Well, entanglement is kind of like thinking about a big mess of a whole bunch of ski trails. And in our brain, whatever we do, that we're very associative. Maybe I should say it that way. So my example of this is that I used to, uh, in college, I was a smoker, and I was only a smoker when I drank. So if I was having a, if I was out in a bar, um, having a drink, I would just have this craving for a cigarette, and I didn't have that craving at other times. Because all of the other cues that this, this associative thing, all of those other cues were telling me, have a cigarette, have a cigarette, have a cigarette. Different neural pathways, sort of like a whole, you know, a whole bunch of skiers all linked together maybe is the way to think about it. Going down various, you know, so I'm linked with a bunch of other skiers. I go down my ski pathway and then everybody goes down theirs and we're programmed to do it at the same time. Is that making any sense, Ursula? Yeah, it makes any sense. I have a. I'm curious about something as I hear you talk. Um, I'm sort of really checking in with my own associative patterns. And would you also say this is um, this is also connected to um, uh, patterns uh, like patterned behavior or like, for example. Um, when, you know, after dinner for me, my sort of routine, my routine behavior is that when dinner is over and, you know, the dishes are done, etc., I put on the kettle and I make a cup of my favorite tea and I do this every night. I can't even mm-hmm. remember when this started. It's just what is so. 
it's sort of like, well, this is just what you do do every night. Yeah, they they call it in psychology call it operant conditioning, and it's kind of you know the the, the classic example is Pavlov's dog. The bell ringing gets associated with food, and so the dog starts salivating. So those are complementary neural pathways, or what we, what you and I might say, they're entangled neural pathways. And this isn't always a bad thing. In fact, it's no. one of the best ways to help change a habit. So this is a po- you have a positive entanglement because I know the tea that you drink is really good for you. It helps with digestion. You know, that's a really not a negative thing that that is entangled with ending, you know, ending dinner that you have yes. this this next thing that happens. So, but what happens is that we get lots of stuff entangled that doesn't serve us. Yes. Yep. And that's kind of where we where we want to go is this place where without even realizing it, we have things entangled with love and safety and security. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, so, it, it, yes. Go ahead. I just wanted to say that um, for me, when we first starting started to talk about this, particularly particularly as it relates to our earliest experiences um, in regards to love, that was when when my bells all started ringing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this this comes from. Um, I believe this comes from Mario Martinez, one of our heroes who's an expert in the field of psychoneuroimmunology. And what he says is that we all have whatever, however we were treated early in life, we have neural pathways right up against our neural pathways for love, love, safety, security. So, and and a lot of this is good. And this, you know, this is great. So, you know, if you know if you got lots of snuggles as a kid, you're going to associate being snuggled with love. This isn't all bad. And when we unpack this, in fact, we can do a little bit of that maybe in a in a moment, Ursula. What we mm-hmm. see is that there are positive associates for most of us who had good enough parents. There are lots of positive associations with love, which you know, have us seeking out good partners and good friends because we were trained early, early on, you know, that people treat you decently. Mm-hmm. However, even with those of us who had good enough parents, and I certainly did, I realized there are some things that I've come to associate with love that don't serve me. So this was my big aha that started this whole conversation. Yes. I, I, uh, well, I had this realization because I, I, I really um, fell in love with somebody who was not available. And, and a friend of mine said to me, you know, well, take a, look, take a look and see what are the patterns there and what are you, you know, they said one of those things, you just hate it when people say, which is like, oh, I just hate that, but it's so useful. It wasn't Ursula, it was another friend, and she said, well, how, kind of like, how are you creating this? And, and I just, you know, I just hate that because you want to believe that it's all, you know, that it's all just, it's not well, your you know, fault. The <laughs> it's not my fault, and, you know, love is the star-crossed lovers and all of that. And I just thought, oh, it's one of those, oh, oh my goodness, really. And so I looked and I had this realization that the big loves of my life, like the ones where I got hit by the thunderbolt, like they talk about in uh, The Godfather. I think there's an Italian phrase for that. You get hit by the thunderbolt. We're just men. We're all men. It's happened to me three times and they were all men who had other commitments. 
So I looked and I saw that, um, I looked to see, well, what is this pattern? And I realized, realized that my father, who I love very much and is a wonderful man, when I was growing up, was a little distracted, like a lot of guys of that era. And he wasn't always around. And when he was, he loved me very much. But it was like there was a bit of abandonment. And mm-hmm. Because it happened so early in my life, I came to associate that also with being deeply loved. So for me, it's like I've got a little thread of abandonment running right up against this thread of being deeply loved. So as a result, look at who I fall in love with. And there's a comfort to, there's a comfort to this kind of guy who can't pay full attention to me. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't feel weird to me. It feels kind of normal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so interesting because, um, you know, as you know, um, I, you know, I became a grandmother uh, four, mu- uh, four months ago, and uh, now looking at this from this perspective of how we, um, how we love and give comfort to our, you know, to the babies, to the infants, it, it, it makes so much sense because that is what yeah. we do from a very early, from a, from the moment we are born, we are seeking comfort and. We get that, right. you know, as, as you said, in a in a great family, we get that in you know in in full measure, and we also get other stuff that's mixed in, and so this comforting, this comfort zone, that we get so trained into, um, you know, either expecting snuggles or sort of being, or expecting to be sort of sometimes ignored, right? Right, and that and that that then becomes normal. It's normal, whatever yeah. we experience. That's just life, comfort, it's and, in, and it really what right. you are saying really strikes strikes me as really powerful because it doesn't even feel strange. And I said this right. to you when we were talking about my own entanglements. I looked at you and I said, I can't even see it because it's. But isn't that normal? Isn't, <laughs> isn't that the way it's supposed to be? I couldn't even see it, but just it felt normal and it just felt comfortable. It's not necessarily that we have a huge pain around it, at least not initially. Yeah, not a, and it's a funny paradox because on the one hand, you know, there's a part of me that just totally longs for, you know, somebody to be totally in and devoted to me. And yet when I have that, it feels a little weird because I don't, you know, you don't, don't have those well-entrenched, well-developed neural pathways from early in life. And, and you have, so part of being a healthy adult is figuring out what's out of your comfort zone that's actually healthy. You know, the other thing that, you know, you're talking about comfort, so I want to make a couple of distinctions here, that it's not even necessarily that, that I was that that as a young child I was comforted by my dad not being around. It just grows to feel very normal, and mm-hmm. that kind of feeling of feeling not totally like whoever I love isn't going to be totally with me. It's not mm-hmm. that it feels comforting; it just feels normal. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, just, therefore, the kind of paradoxically mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, Ursula, the other thing, I was talking about this with a client, and she was, her eyes were getting, I could tell even over the phone that her eyes were getting really wide. And, and we started talking about, um, for a lot of people, 
how food gets associated with love. Oh, absolutely. How food and love can just be, like, I think of them as just completely these neural pathways that are so, like, wires twisted together. Yeah. No, I can totally identify. I can totally identify with that because, uh, you know, my mom, who is a great cook and does fabulous, you know, fabulous food and has always done, you know, great meals. But, you know, growing up, you know, love and food, well, if you didn't have seconds <laughs> of her wonderful meals, it, there was something wrong. And it, it, it's sort of like, even to this day, I find this really funny. Because, you know, I, I, you know I'm, as you, you know me, I'm not overweight and I'm, you know, relatively fit. But I thought I, there, was, there was a potential for of me <laughs> to really eat more than, you know, was good for me because that, is, well, that was her way. That was her way, and then you think about how many times, you know, you're having a, I was talking again, I'm talking about this with a client, like, you're out, you're having a wonderful time, it's just a great day, what, what should we be, let's get ice cream, you know, that yes. we're, that, that the whole kind of, or you're feeling bad, oh, sweetie, how about a treat, and I'm not saying any of this is wrong, I'm just saying this is where we then develop this, you know, this, I need comfort mm-hmm. um, or I'm going to celebrate or whatever it is. Therefore, therefore, just like me with the drink and the cigarette, therefore the neural pathway that says something sweet and yummy, that fires along with the other. So that if I'm feeling bad, it's just natural to crave something mm-hmm. yummy to eat. Or, if, or for seeing this, the person I was talking to was saying, if I'm feeling bad, if I'm feeling good, you know, either way, it's it's a it's a comforting yes. thing, yeah. it's a celebrating thing. So how do you? The the question then is, with all of this, how do we pull it apart so that we can live more in choice and we don't we're not just slaves to, I'm feeling bad, therefore I need to eat, or. I can only love people who don't pay full attention to me. Mm-hmm. So how do we pull this apart so we can have these neural pathways firing but detangle them, unwind well, them I, from each other? Right. I think that uh, uh, when we started talking about this, one uh, one way that we were discussing is really looking at them as separate things. You know, there is love what does that mean? And then there is, you know, this other thing, whatever it is that gets entangled with, with it, whether it's, you know, food. I, you know, also have a have an example uh, from a from a client in my life where shopping and money gets entangled with love, and that is that can be, you know, also a huge challenge. So it's pulling them apart and saying, okay, here is the ski slope of love, and here is the ski slope of um, availability, as you know, in your case, um, so is having them as separate and and seeing, well, what is love for me? What does it mean? You know, what's the experience? You also make, you also make me think that it gets even. We we're so complex, and one of my favorite quotes, people who know me know, one of my favorite quotes is quotes is the the brain is a beautiful monstrous mess. It is, yep. because the other thing I'm seeing in all of this 
um, and this was this uh, I first learned when my ex-husband went to the Hoffman Institute, is that you can have these entanglements. Like for me, oh, people who aren't fully available, that's really a comfortable kind of, that'll fire my little love neurons. But also you can have the reaction to it. So for me, that feels comfortable, so I sort of gravitate toward those men but it could also be that i can say to myself i will i will only find people who completely cling on which i have also done <laughs> so you're sort of like mm-hmm. either going with what you knew going along with the way your parents sing it early, the way you were treated early in life or as a reaction to it mm-hmm. and you can, and all of us can certainly have both we're you know we're a mess um, mm-hmm. it's not like we can't always sort of neatly parcel this out. So I want to just create room for the complexity of, and the chaos that can go on. Cause I look at, you know, there have been times in my life where the re, you know, when I got married, the two men I married, one of the reasons I married them is I knew they would never leave. And I knew that I would be the, you know, I was their thing. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was, they were into me. Well, it, it it became too much. There wasn't any freedom there for me. There was mm-hmm. kind of an ownership so, feeling. So what I'm hearing here is that, um, you know, because of entanglement, um, because of the brain's complexity, you know, entanglement certainly, you know, is is very complex because it sounds like to me, you know, we we can either go one way or the other or we have both. And then how do we know because it feels normal that it's not right. normal. Well, you know, it's I really looking at what, yeah. like, what, what do we, what do we, how do we even get to the fact that this, what we are experiencing, is actually not normal? Yeah, yeah or, or, um, or the question that comes to me, and this is a really good question, and this really makes it, I think, relevant to coaching, um, is how do we pull it all apart so mm-hmm. that we can be you know i don't i have no idea what's normal which brings us to this question of let me bookmark this about consensus reality but i want to make make another point about it i think what's empowering and what's really needed is for all of us to be at choice to be able to say i'm not just being tweaked by an old pattern i'm not just having my strings pulled by this old association i'm actually choosing and mm-hmm. that's harder than I think we necessarily always realize because of how well, because, we are. Exactly, because in te- and because entanglement, it feels to me sometimes that I actually, and again, it's a, it's a sort of an either or, it sometimes feels like I don't have a choice because it's just the way it is or it's it's or it's hard to know what to choose it is really i mean i'm and the the more the more we talk about entanglement the more and the more i'm sort of trying it with clients the more i'm realizing is that the road to disentanglement is really is 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 hard it's not easy to do it's a hero's journey and um what was i going to say i lost my thought but i wanted to say uh it's it's not. I think I got all entangled there. Um, you're right. It's not easy to. It's not easy to do. Um, it's not as always as clear as we think. We'll just choose. 
Oh, I know what I was going to say. The brain, particularly the left hemisphere of the brain, which is very dominant mm-hmm. in the Western world, is is a rationalization machine. Yes. So you bring that layer in. Um, the left hemisphere is in charge of interpretation. So we've got all of these old neural pathways just being plucked like you know guitar strings and vibrating. And then our left hemisphere will very nicely just rationalize it and will say to me, oh, this isn't an old pattern. You really just are in love with this person. Look at how amazing they are. You know, like that. That's what we do. Yeah. What's, you know, what's really happening may just be that an old pattern is getting twang, tang, twanged. So I think um, part of it, part of what is necessary is to start to recognize what is, you know, you sort of look at what the threads are in there. Mm-hmm. Imagining yes. it like a ball of yarn that got all, a couple of balls of yarn that got all braided together. And to be able to pull slowly, just like untangling a knotted pile of string, slowly start teasing it apart, kind of bringing it into the light of day. Well, and I think um, um, a great way to start is where you started, is looking at patterns. It's like when it happens once, that's one thing. If it happens twice, it's like, oh, maybe I should pay attention. When it happens three times, it's like, oh, hello, there is a pattern. <laughs> there is a pattern. You know, and if, that is, and if it's a pattern that's not working or not serving you or it's not the pattern you, you want to have show up, I think that, that's a good that's a good way to start. It's looking at, oh, it's happening a couple of times. I need to pay attention now. Yeah, yeah. So um, what I'm curious for you, let's do a little, let's, let's just do, let's, let's play a little bit. Let's entangle, so shall things, we entangle? <laughs> let's, disen- let's, let's disentangle a little. So here's yep. one of the things that we've, that we've do- started doing with our clients. So I, Ursula, are you up for me doing it with you? Oh, sure. Okay. Absolutely. It's going to be our guinea, our guinea pig today. Yes. So if you think about it, and we love to at the above, of course, we think about everything as below the line or above the line. So I want you to go above the line with me first. Yes. And um, even imagine, uh, you know, take a piece of paper and put a line in the middle. Can you do that? you have something with yeah. you? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm right at my desk, so I can... Great. Grab a piece of copy paper. Here we go. So All right. I want you to think about I want you to think about early life and all of the positive associations you have with love and with being cared for and with being secure. So what is mm. your, basically what we're looking at is your above the line entanglement with love. Mm. Well, I was um, I was told I was loved, so I love you, I adore you. So there were there were words of love. Um, mm-hmm. uh, particularly, my mom was was very. I was going to say you know, mostly, very, mostly from your mom, right? Yes, very touchy. You know, snuggle. You know, hug, hold hands. I mean, it was a, a lot of you know touching in 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 very very love loving ways. Um, and also, um, you know, I was told that uh, there are no limits. That you know, anything I wanted to do was 
you know, there was there were lots of possibilities. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I was I was told that I was beautiful, um, which mm. was lovely. Um, that I was mm. pretty, and um, you know, a lot of affirmation of how great I was, how wonderful I was, how well I was doing. Um, we had great, and we had fun. And it's fun. Okay, cool. And I also yeah. know about your family. There was a certain stability in your family. There wasn't a ton of, you know, something about an association with love or security. Like a paycheck came home, food on the table. You yep. had one of those families, right? Yep. yep. I Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, my parents were by no means, you know, wealthy or anything, but uh, dad worked very hard and uh, mom as well. And uh, yep, no, it was, I, when I grew up, I, I never felt like that, you know, we would not have anything to eat or would be homeless the, the next, the next day. I mean, it, it, no, absolutely not. It felt, so you, it felt very so secure. A, so think about this, that you have an association that life is supposed to be stable, early, yes. developed early on. And yes. so people are supposed to like you and tell you nice things. And what else yeah. above the line? Well, you know, it's sort of funny, like, even as we talk about it, and, you know, we, we've done this, you know, before, but every time I do it, I see something else. It's sort of, like, funny. It would, it ha, it, in all my now, you know, 60-odd years that I've been on the planet, it actually would never have occurred to assume that life wasn't stable or secure. <laughs> I'm sort yeah, of taking yeah. it as a given, you know? Well, and it's, it's a given. It's, and so here's what's, here's what's interesting. This got patterned in you early on, and I want to make a quick point for, for those, maybe, maybe you've heard us say this before, if not, whatever we lay down earlier in life gets laid down um, in yeah. a slightly different way or with or gets laid, you, know, you can consider those, those pathways get a little stronger. There's a process called myelination, which occurs in your uh, childhood and teens, which um, is a fatty covering coating the axon of the neuron that makes neural impulses go more quickly. So all of this plays into, we believe, why what we learn early in life gets really um, set yeah. down in ways that are quite strong. And yes. so you think about your your life, even though you've moved a lot, you know, you have followed this pattern. This is just the way life is, and you have replicated that. You don't have chaos yes, in absolutely. your life. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yep. It's quite, it's, it's quite fascinating to me. Um, uh that that would uh you know that that would just really repeat itself yeah so um yeah it was stable secure loving um full of possibility um you know in regards well, to goodness. money so, or... <laughs> go ahead yeah go ahead well, i was just going to say you just sound like you know it just sounds just about perfect so I think we're done here. You know, how could you ever possibly have any problems or issues, Ursula? You're just, you know, look at this wonderful. Right, exactly. Well, there is a yes, but right. <laughs> so they, they, and it's interesting that uh, even as I am talking about my childhood in and as carefree and loving and and uh, really, really secure as it was, um, there is. Um, even in the description for me, there is a little undercurrent of mm, yes and yes and and there was you know there was something else. 
um, going on. And so let's talk about the what we call it be above the below the line um, experiences um, that that I felt, uh, you know, in in early childhood as it relates to love. Um, I had a um, my dad was a, a very critical, um, and so. Um, judgment, you know, judging not only me, but there was a lot of conversation in my house about how other people should be. And if they're not, it's a problem. So um, in, um, you know, there was a lot of conversation about uh, you know, you know the neighbors, the way the neighbors should be, um, and all that kind of thing. That sort of, you know, gave me the the impression as a child that there is a way to be and a way not to be. Um, hello, you are back. We lost you briefly, didn't I'm, we? I'm sorry, I got dropped off, so I apologize about that. But yes, I heard what you were saying. You're, sort of an impression that there's a way and a way not to be. Yeah. Well, let's yes, go. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> no no sorry problem. About that. No, uh, it was, you know, it's, it's funny. I I didn't even notice um, it un, until I looked on my dashboard and realized that you had, that you had, that you had, that the call was dropped. Up. Yeah, because I, I was in the, I was in the flow of my below the line experience. So it was, it's all good. Oh, good. So tell me, the, so tell me more about the below the line. What do you have below the line associated with love? Well, as I, you know, as I said, uh, there was a judgment, and and, and uh, my dad, in particular, was very critical. You know, he he would sort of call me uh, to task when I, you know, would wear something that he felt wasn't the way you should show up at school or the way you should be or the way you should look. I mean, there was always a mm. little bit of this, you know, this, this, you know, what will the neighbors think syndrome? Mm. I rem- it's, it's funny. Mm. <laughs> Isn't it funny that we remember these little details? I mean, I find it just so bizarre. Yes. I remember, I remember that um, I, I came home from, I don't know whether it was, you know, my first job or something. I came home, and it must have been like 9 or 9.30 at night, and um, I went upstairs and um, wanted to take a bath, you know, at night, like 9.30 at night. And my both my parents, we lived in a row house, and so my parents said, you can't do that. It's too late. You know, the, the, the neighbors will hear the waters. And are like, what will the neighbors think if, if, if you take a bath at 9.30 at night? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that That's funny? Well, well, I mean, and it really goes to consensus reality and how consensus yes. reality gets all tangled up in here with who, you know, what we want, who we are, what we want to be, and this place of saying, how do we know what's, how do we know, how do we know what we really want when we've got all this entanglement in there? Um, Because then we just get, start getting used by, you know, in Germany, consensus reality says you don't do things like that at 930 at night. 
Exactly. I mean, you know, there is there is a timetable for when you have a shower or a bath. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's like you can't just have a shower or a bath whenever you feel like it. That's you know, funny. you do it between you know seven thirty a.m. and you know and ten a.m. and not not beyond that. So it, this is really um, I want to. This is where I really want to bring in consensus reality. This this notion of everybody knows that this is not what you do. That was very, very uh, present in my growing up years. And it gets, all tangled, it. it gets all tangled up in there. And then as we grow up, this question of what do I want and how do I disentangle that from what I have been told is the right way to be? And it's yes, all and wrapped for, around know, in there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, part of my entanglement with love is conforming. Conforming. You so don't that, break the mold. You are not. Yep. Go ahead. You'll be lovable if you. Well, you'll be lovable if you'll get love if you conform. So mm-hmm. there's also yeah. So from your dad, judgment, criticism. What about from your mom that was below the line? Well, this is interesting to me because I mean, you know, Mom, and she's you know, yeah, she's 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 adorable, and you know, everybody loves her, and she she really is. She's a, she's a very 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 great woman, um, very loving woman, yeah, very loving woman. And here's what's interesting to me is that she was. I'm a, I, I'm an only child, so her. Her passion in life uh, when I was growing up was really having a big family. She would, she wanted, you know, many children. Uh, you know, the universe had other plans. And so I grew up an, on, an only child. So all her love was really showered on me. Now you would think that's not an issue, and I'm sure that there are people out there who must be thinking that I'm, you know, crazy because why would it be an issue when? There are so many people who have less of that and want more of it. Well, for me, it was interesting that it became a responsibility. Uh, I heard you are the love of my life, and I had you when you were little. These were the happiest days of my life. I wouldn't know what would, you know, what would I be, who would I be if something would happen to you. It became a burden. Which is really, you know, to this day, I am really still curious about that. That it had the it had the flavor of responsibility to me when I grew up. Yeah. So there's something too about that. There's a and again, I want to you know back to what feels normal, what feels all entangled yeah. in there. What I'm hearing in there, and I and you've shared before, is there's something about guilt that gets all tangled up with love. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 you know it it if if I am the source of someone's happiness, I have to be sure that I well I have to make sure that I am the source of that happiness. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're responsible. And when I dis, you know dis, yeah, I'm responsible, you know, if I disappoint, then you know the opposite is going to happen. And that that's hard when you grow up. In fact, I so still find it hard, quite frankly. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, this is where where we carry these things through. And as we know from neuroplasticity, the more you use a neural pathway, the stronger it gets. So, yep. you know, we all have neural pathways that we've been we've just been strengthening without meaning to. 
um, or necessarily even wanting to our whole lives. And so then the question is, okay, how do we reroute? How do we start pulling this apart? How do we start disentangling love from judgment and criticism and conforming and guilt? And then that's where we can start to, then the question becomes, and I think this is, so we think about this as a three-part process for your clients, and it's a place to start at least. The first would be to see what's, you know, what are the positive associations that they have from love? And, Mm -hmm. you know, as you heard just me doing with Ursula, there's some, like, what are early memories? And, you know, what are the really, like, warm things that you have that you remember? And then what are the other things what are the other early memories that are below the line? And so then part three is my next question for Ursula. If you were to just imagine in your brain that you've got, you know, we'll say it's a blue pathway that's love, and you've got all sorts of red pathways around it, like judgment and criticism and conforming and responsibility and guilt, all tangled up with the love. If you were Mm -hmm. to just pull out that blue pathway what is love to you really separate mm. from all of this stuff mhm mhm yeah there is a for me there is a there's there's a freedom to it um it really is this this gift that is freely given and freely received without any um without any conditions um any conditions or responsibility to it. It's really, um, you know, for me, being in love with someone means that they know how to take responsibility for their own happiness. That, for me, really is a, is a true experience of love, where I feel that I am the icing on the cake. I'm not the cake. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be yeah. the cake. <laughs> yeah, or the meat, or my gosh, or the meal, the steak dinner. The yeah. yeah, I like yeah. to be dessert, and a very little dessert for that matter. Um, wow, yeah, I, I really I, feel, I, as you say this, I feel the expansiveness. It feels like you're just expanding. Yes, and it feels so joyful when when we have that, when we know that we are with, with someone who who sees us as the icing on the cake and not the responsibility, you know, of it, of it all. Um, mm. And it's what really, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a, love for me is not bound to everybody knows consensus reality, but it is, well, what's the reality we really want to create? What is, what's real for us in this relationship that is love? And how? What's the experience? What's the experience there? Uh, not the way people say it should be, um, but what we really want to authentically create. Boy, and it's I free really of hear guilt. I I so hear the freedom. I so hear like you said, yeah. love is freedom. I yes. really like. Wow, it's yeah. it's. I'm sure it's lots of other things, but but I really feel that. So what if as you think about this strand? If you imagine your brain as a big tangled mess of of yarn <laughs> that the cat's got into, that my cat's got into, and you just follow this this strand that says that's really what love is. It's separate from guilt, conforming, responsibility, judgment, and criticism. It's just separate from all of that. It may also mm-hmm. be separate from that I have to be told I love you, I adore you, snuggles, 
all of all of that that is just separate what mm-hmm. what does that give what does that give you to look at love this way what opens up for you well it's uh it's it it op- well it, the very thing that i felt i didn't have because it was normal or it felt normal is choice when mm. things feel normal and they're entangled, particularly with everybody knows and consensus, consensus reality, it, it, it begins to feel like, well, I, I don't really have a choice. This is just the way it is. And when I look at this is what love really is, I, I know I have a choice. I can, I, the very thing I'm longing for and the very thing that I believe love is, in my case, which is freedom, it then gives me freedom. It gives me freedom to choose and freedom to be. Mm. And I, gosh, I hear such power as you say that. Or like clarity. You know, it really, it really, it really is. Well, you, you know, you know that, uh, you know, particularly when, when mom, you know, comes to Florida and visits for six weeks, that I often feel that my freedom is gone. And freedom is yeah. such a high value of mine. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's basically how I, you know, it's the be-all and end-all almost uh, of everything I do is freedom, and I find I find so I find myself so imprisoned. And it's yeah. not anything she even does. I mean, this is the, this is the funny thing. It's not anything well, she I does. Think, it's in my brain. No, and I think what ends up happening and and um, is. I really believe, and you, Ursula, you've seen those pictures where you look at the galaxies and then you look at like a neuron and they kind of look the same and you yes. know what I'm talking about? Yep. So mm-hmm. I really do believe as, as, as above, so below, as below, so above. So we can measure, we now have the instruments where we can really see neural, you can actually take a little camera and watch neurons firing in the brain and see these pathways creating, et cetera. Well, I think we have pathways between us, energetic pathways that also get strengthened. Neuro, I believe neuroplasticity happens between us. We get into these patterns of behavior that occur over time, and the, the longer we do them, we end up in, in the quantum field all entangled with each other. Yes, by these yep. habitual patterns. And I, you know, maybe it's just a metaphor and I'm okay with that. Or maybe at some point we'll actually be able to see them like we can view what's going on in the head. And you'll see, oh, that's this, you know, every time that's where the energy is firing. And so yes. the challenge that I think we have is to, this is why I think when, when we come to new realizations in our life, we can really upset the apple cart with our families and friends because we're yep. disrupting habitual neural, you know, neural patterns, patterns. Between us, or energetic yep. patterns between yep. us that are yep. established just like, just like neural patterns in the brain. Yeah, I mean, so you got one with your mom. A, yeah, I, even as a visual, I can see uh, the red and blue yarn, you know, expand uh, over space and and time, um, and wrapping, you know, people up within, you know, like with, between my mom and I, I can see the red yarn and the blue yarn being all wrapped around us, and then reaching out into other relationships that she has and that I have, 
Yeah. And so oh, the sure. entanglement, you know, it continues. I mean, it really is um, is fascinating. It's a whole... It's a whole spider web in the quantum field, and because we now know that we inherit emotional states, we may even be inheriting these patterns and, and passing them on. So I think the, the, the key, and maybe where we want to leave everybody and wrap it up, is neuroplasticity. My friend Linda Page says, neuroplasticity is a six-syllable word for hope. Because we know that we can change the pattern of the brain and really that this is a lot of what coaches do with their clients is change their patterning. Mm -hmm. So in terms of this, in terms of changing patterns with other people, in terms of rewiring our habitual associations with love or disentangling, really the key is pretty simple. It's to put energy where we want it to be, sending energy to the old patterns that aren't empowering us anymore. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I want to. There's and, and there's something else that I want to add, uh, which relates uh, to you know the the quantum field and how we're all connected together. Uh, and we 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 say this a lot um, at Be Above, and it's also part of Ma- Mario Martinez's work, which is about healing. So if I can heal this patterned associative neural pathway and behavior that I have, I will disentangle a lot uh, of things that that are that relate to my children, that relate to my grandchildren, and I think also that relate to the wider world. And I, if I can heal this part of myself, that healing has an impact of, of the larger world. And I think that for me, yeah. is, that's the motivation. Yeah, it creates another alternative reality that's more that's more possible. And I also think, you know, we do this all the time. I was thinking about a friend of mine who was telling me that she goes to this gathering and it doesn't have resonance for her anymore. And it's kind of assumed that she should go to the gathering and that's what all mm-hmm. of the people in her circle are going to do. And she just said, I'm not going this year. And, you know, her saying that creates more permission in the world. Yes. Granted more permission for me to say, maybe I won't go to the next gathering that doesn't empower me. I mean, so there's a real practical way that people disentangling themselves from habitual patterns, you know, we can inspire each other on the practical level. And then on the quantum level, any, there's a, I always think about the Jewish tradition of Takan Olam, which is to heal the world. And in um, in the Jewish faith, the belief is that the world was a shining vessel of light, and it got shattered. And all mm-hmm. of the pieces spread to the far corners of the universe, and every act of loving kindness repairs the world. It's like it makes mm-hmm. the vessel more whole. Yeah, and yes. and forgive, me if I'm, if, forgive me if I'm not communicating that quite right any of my Jewish friends but that was sort of my my (laughs) Um, so I think about any act of disentanglement in myself anytime I stand for a higher truth and stand for more choice there's a way it brings more light back to the vessel of the world and provides healing so I love that you brought that up yes no it that's uh, that's beautiful yeah, that's the that's the bigger picture and the bigger the bigger passion and the bigger stake of our own our own work. 
Well, this was a lovely conversation. Thank you, Ursula. Really, you thank know, you very kind much. Of, we yes. were kind of we were kind of messy and entangled, and maybe the other <laughs> thing I just want to say before we go is, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we've got coming up at Be Above. I don't want to forget that, but is that this is messy. Not, this, mm-hmm. And it's okay. So I just invite everybody to get in there and play and see what happens and let us know. You know, ask your clients, what do you have associated with love that's positive? What do you have associated with love that doesn't serve you? And what is love really? Mm-hmm. I just think it's a fascinating conversation, and we're, we're curious to see what you learn. Yes. So, Ursula, what do we have coming up for Be Above? What's on the docket? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, we um, we are actually um, just in a couple of weeks, uh, I am going to be in Minneapolis for our advanced coaching series, Neuroscience, Consciousness, and Transformational Coaching, Module 1 and 2 Intensive. And that's going oh, to be the there room? Yes, we still have some room, April 29 and 30th, May 1, 2, and 3. Um, So that's, you know, very, very, very exciting. Um, We've got a couple of new locations this year that uh, we are are very, um, we're really looking forward to. We're going to be in Boston and Los Angeles for the start of our four-module series. Um, You've just come from Vancouver, so... Yep. You've just come back from uh, Vancouver, and you're going to go again in May also for a Module 1 and 2 intensive. So um, that's going yes. to be May 20th to the 24th. And we still have room for that. Um, we're going to Mexico. We're going to China. Where else are we going again? <laughs> we're going to Spain. And we're going to be in Barcelona and Madrid. And, the, and Bar- Spain isn't on the website yet, and China is... Um, I can't remember if it's on the website or not. But at any rate, if you have any questions, you can always email us. The two that are coming up that you can jump right into this spring is um, the very end of, of April in Minneapolis and towards the end of May in Vancouver. We'd love to have you. Otherwise, you can join us, as Ursula said, in Boston. In September, we'll have a Module 1 starting. And in Los Angeles in October, we'll have a Module 1 starting. And you can find it all on BeAboveLeadership.com. Yes, and so thanks for coming uh, to the Untangling Our Neural Pathways uh, episode of uh, Blog Talk Radio. Um, We're looking forward to seeing you again uh, next month. Thank you, Anne. This was just beautiful, as always. It's a lovely, fun conversation. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, If you have any questions, as Anne said, just uh, email us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next month. Thank you, my dear. Take care. Bye-bye.